The funny thing about genius zones is that while my zones overlap individually with millions of people, no one else in the world's genius zones overlap exactly with mine. How's that for some fancy math? <laughs> oh, that just sounded really silly. This is my conversation with Josh Steinle. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't. And we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Josh Steinle. He's a best-selling author of several books, including Chief Marketing Officers at Work, for which he interviewed 29 CMOs from companies like Target, Spotify, GE, PayPal, and he's been involved with Probably 300 articles in magazines like Forbes, Fortune, Time, Inc., Mashable, TechCrunch, and Entrepreneur. And he's kind enough to be here today and fix my life. So, Josh Steinle, welcome to Truth Tastes Funny. Hirsch, thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. So, maybe we'll get you to talk a little bit about your seven systems of influence, but... If we're trying to have an impact and influence in our careers, in the world, where do we start? Well, humor is actually a great place to start, right? They say that if you can make people laugh, then they'll listen to anything you have to say. But I should have prepared better. I should have brought some jokes with me. So I don't know how funny I'm going to be today, but hopefully I can be helpful. That's the, the beautiful thing about truth tasting funny is that it's it's a little bit weird and quirky, and it can't be fabricated. We can't really make up our own uh, jokes on this show. We just kind of try to laugh at laugh in the face of reality a little bit. So let's just have some fun, and let's let's learn about you in the process. Sure. Well, let's dive into it. So you mentioned this seven systems framework that I came up with, and really I didn't come up with it. I mean, it's kind of like. Newton didn't really come up with gravity. He just observed it and was able to write about it in a way that people thought he invented it. But I didn't come up with these seven systems of influence. I just saw them out there and arranged them in a way that was helpful for me and seems to have been helpful for a number of other people too. So maybe we can just walk through these seven systems and use yeah. them on you and see okay. where we end up. Cool. So the first of the seven systems is vision, which is what do you want? It's every time that you wake up, you want to get something done today, this week, this month, this year, during your lifetime. You have some vision of what you will want to accomplish. And sometimes it's something small, like I want to get my kid to take out the trash today. And sometimes it's something larger, like I want to write a book. And sometimes it's something really big, like I want to have a happy life and a happy family. And I want to be able to look back on my life and say, hey, that, that was good. So what do you want to talk about today? What's the vision that you want to discuss? What's some objective or some goal, something that you're working on? 
Well, I went, I had my, my annual optometrist appointment yesterday. So when you said vision, I felt like really psyched. I was, I was brought all the way up because I was like, okay, I did this. I did this yesterday. I read a very small line of print and I was feeling good about myself. Now, I don't know whether I would like to get my daughter to take out the trash, but I think in, out of respect for your time, let's, let's go, let's go a little bigger and let's say that I want to real. I really want to use my my talents and experience in a way that helps the world while making money for me. While, Perfect. So, so that that's I, great. Yeah, that's a big dream. Making money yeah. is good. Changing the world is good. Do you already have an idea about how you want to do this? Well, I know that communicating with people is also very joyful and also has proven very useful for me. Mm -hmm. So I would say communicating. Okay. And so you want to use your ability to communicate and you have a talent for communication. So you want to use your ability to communicate to change people in a substantial way. And you hope that while you're changing people, you can also make money doing it so that you can live inside and wear clothes and things like that. Exactly. Okay. So, Let's use that as our vision, and that's pretty broad, right? I mean, that's a pretty general vision, but we'll start there. That's just fine. So the next system is your genius zone. What makes you the right person to pull this off? We already talked a little bit about you being a good communicator, but talk a little bit more. What's the collection of skills, interests, experience, knowledge, all those things that are in your head or that you've done in the past, what are all those things that make you the person to do this? Well, first of all, does everybody, everybody gets the genius zone or this is special? This is something for me that this is a standard. Uh... Well, we're going to talk about your genius zone. Everybody has oh, okay. multiple genius zones. And oh, the way oh. that we get to the genius zone is first to talk about expert zones. So everybody's good at stuff. Everybody can do stuff. And when I say expert zone, I don't mean like you're the best in the world at this thing. I'm just talking about what are things that you know how to do? that maybe most people don't know how to do. For example, you're hosting a podcast right now. Most people don't know how to host a podcast. Now, just because we call podcasting one of your expert zones, it doesn't mean you're Joe Rogan. It doesn't mean you have to be the best in the world, but that's something that you know how to do that most people don't know how to do. What are some other things around communication and helping people change that when you collect it all together and you put it all together, it makes you special and it kind of gives you an edge or an unfair advantage over most people out there. Okay, so stand-up comedy would be one, that mm -hmm. I'm a proficient stand-up comedian and so I have a, a knack for injecting levity and bringing levity into a situation in a way that is helpful and appropriate. I'm a good, I'm a writer and specifically I'm a mimic in, in a sense of not just as a comedian doing voices, but also as someone hearing a, a voice of a brand, hearing a voice of a, of a brand owner or a CMO or someone who's evangelizing about a brand and understand where they're coming from and then be able to tr write in that voice. Um, and obviously that's not the kind of thing that at seven years old, you wake up and think I'm going to do that. And then I think understanding about perception, how, how people are perceived and how they can, uh, you know, change those perceptions around a little bit. And, okay. uh, and so, yeah. 
So that's a great list already right there. And we could probably add 20 more things or 100 more things to that list, but this is already a great start. You know how to host a podcast. You know how to communicate. You know how to talk. You know how to use humor. You know how to listen to people and understand where they're coming from. And you talked about perception. So these are all different skills, and you put these all together, and that makes you who you are. It gives you the abilities that you have. And to just explain this concept of the genius zone a little bit more for people who are listening and have never heard of this, the whole idea here is to figure out what makes you special so that you can focus on things that only you can do and not be focused on things that you could go hire somebody for 10 bucks an hour to do. You want to do the things that make you special, that make allow you to change the world. So one of the examples I'll use is I grew up skateboarding and I used to run a skate shop when I was a kid. I've stayed active in that industry. And so I know a lot about skateboarding, but there are 20 million skateboarders in the United States and a lot of them know a lot about skateboarding as well. So by itself, skateboarding doesn't really make me special. I also know a bit about marketing. You mentioned my book, Chief Marketing Officers at Work. I interviewed all these CMOs. I've run a marketing agency for 20 years. And so I know a lot about marketing too. But again, by itself, that doesn't really make me special because I can point you to 30 other journalists who have interviewed lots of CMOs and written books about marketing. And there are a lot of people who own marketing agencies. So by itself, that doesn't really make me special either. But if we take these two things, skateboarding and marketing, and we overlap them, make a little Venn diagram, that's something different. Because if I ask how many people know as much about marketing as I do and know as much about skateboarding as I do, well, now that's a small group. That might be a dozen people in the world. And so that's something I could say, hey, this is going to be my genius zone, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to go to Nike or Adidas and I'm going to tell them, hey, I can help you sell a ton of shoes to skateboarders because I get skateboarders and I also get marketing. And where else are they going to go to find somebody who knows as much about those two things? So my genius zone makes me more valuable. It allows me to serve other people in a way that not many other people can serve them. It also allows me to make more money because I can do something that not that many people can do that adds value. And so that's why we talk about the genius zone is we want to figure out why people are special and what they can do. And so if you look at all the different things that you do, the listener I'm speaking to here, you might speak multiple languages. You may have lived in multiple countries. You may have worked for certain types of different companies. And any one of those things might not be that unique, but if you start overlapping those things, it can make you really unique. And you might be able to get to the point where you say, by overlapping these five or six things, I might be the only person in the world who has these five or six things. And if I focus on that, that's where I can add the most value. So that's why we talk about the genius zone. So now any questions before we move on to system number three? No, but it's really good that I, I know nothing about skateboarding, really. And so there's there's no competition here. I feel very comfortable that we're, you know, we're complementary to one another I do know a little bit about marketing, but I, but nothing about skateboards. So we're not infringing on one another's genius zones. That's, that's a good thing, I think. You know? That is a good thing, too, about the genius zone, is that when you're in your genius zone and you're comfortable there, everybody is somebody that you can work with. Nobody's a competitor because then you realize we're all so different and we're all so unique. But if you focus on just marketing 
well, then you're competing against every other marketer out there, and then everybody's a competitor, and you're trying to scramble for what scraps you can get. But when you have your genius zone, the work comes to you. The business comes to you. The money comes to you. The opportunities come to you because you've identified with that genius zone, and there's nobody else like you in the world. So that's why it's so important to find that genius zone. It just it makes our lives more satisfying, and it allows us to contribute more. If everybody in the world focused on their genius zone, people would do all sorts of amazing things, but because we're all focused levels down and we haven't niched down to the right place, then we end up having to compete against everybody in the world, and it's a scarcity versus abundance yeah. mindset, right? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. So, all right. So let's move on to system three, which is ideal audience. And I could just say audience, who's your target market? Who are you focused on? But typically when we start talking about audience, people start to say things like, well, my audience is everybody, or it's everybody who needs to sell something, or it's everybody who wants to feel better about themselves. And it's like, well, that's just everybody. And if you're targeting everybody, you're really targeting nobody. And so when we talk about the ideal audience, we want to get zeroed in on really who is the ideal audience. So for example, I have one of my companies is a PR firm. And with my PR firm, we could say, hey, our audience is anybody who needs public relations services. But then we're competing against every single PR firm out there. And we might attract a lot of people that we really don't want to work with. So for example, I ask questions to my clients like this. I'll ask, would you rather work with a client who has a lot of money or no money? And most people say, well, duh, of course I want to work with a client who has money. Okay, well then you're probably not targeting college students because typically college students don't have that much money. Actually, these days college students seem to have more money than <laughs> I do, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But, you know, traditionally, college students didn't have any money. So Right, and they work less than we did, and they have more money. <laughs> they make more money because they demand more money for less work. Yep, so. yep. So everything's gone backwards since I graduated yeah. from college. I should have stayed in college. So... I'll ask people, do you want to work with clients who have no money or a lot of money? Of course, everybody wants to work with clients who have money. Do you want to work with clients who are going to come back and keep paying you or they're just going to pay you once? Do you want to work with clients who are easy to work with or hard to work with? You start asking a lot of these would you rather questions and really quickly you start to identify who do I really want to be working with? And where people struggle is they feel like when they go through this exercise that they're eliminating potential clients or customers. They're eliminating money that's on the table just there for the taking. But the truth is it's not there for the taking. There's a limited number of people that you can appeal to. And if there's a limited number of people that you can work with, don't you want to work with the people that you really want to work with that are the best, most ideal customers and clients for you? Well, of course. For a lot of people I talk with, I'll ask them, how many clients do you need to totally change your business, change your life? And sometimes the answer is as little as three. I just need three really good clients. Well, right. then why are you targeting everybody when you really just need three clients or five or 10 or 20 or 100? If there are a million potential clients out there, but you only need 100, why not work with the 100 that would be the most fun to work with, the best to work with, the most lucrative to work with? And then how do you identify those clients so that you can speak to them. So, for example, another one of my businesses is I have a LinkedIn agency. And we target Fortune 500 executives, except we don't really target Fortune 500 executives because 
Fortune 500 executives are too busy to be looking for somebody to take care of their LinkedIn profile. So they're going to ask an assistant or they're going to have somebody on a marketing team who's looking for that service for them. So we target the assistants or the marketing teams of Fortune 500 executives. And that's why when you come to our website, it says, hire us to make your CEO look great on LinkedIn. Because we know we're not really talking to the CEO. The CEO is never going to visit our website. But it's that assistant. So we've really niched down on our audience. And then we can speak directly to our, our audience because we know who they are. And we can deliver a message that appeals to them and speaks to a problem that they have. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because system number four is content. And that's where we talk about the message. But I'm bringing this up to drive home the point. If you don't know who your ideal audience is, you're not going to be able to create the content that makes them do what you want them to do, which then funnels into making your vision reality. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to, there's right. a lot to digest in that. But, um, so but let's I, talk about I, you, though. Yeah. So who yeah. is your ideal audience? Let's start by saying that my audience are executives who are trying to express their identities better. So their problem has to do with capturing the essence of either their brand or their persona, um, their voice. They're having trouble finding their voice. And with a brand, it might be, well, we want to be sustainable. We want to do this. We want to be that. But, they, but they're a little bit lost in who they are and how they say it. Or they just got a, they just did message testing and they're realizing that their message isn't reson resonating and they have to change it, but they want to do it sincerely. They want to be genuine. So, and I'm basing a lot of this on what my experience has been, right? Not that I decided I want to work with people who have this problem. It's that I find myself working with people who have this problem. People who have a business from another country and they want to translate it into American culture. It's not a coincidence that they came to me. There was some reason why they looked at my ability to capture voices and say, oh, we want to find our American voice. We want to find our voice in America. Um, and so I, I find myself being useful to anyone who's trying to crystallize their, their message which makes me different from, let's say, an average copywriter where they say, oh, we have a jar of mayonnaise. We need to talk about all the great things about mayonnaise. Now, I can do that, but that's not – that doesn't separate me. And that you I'm trying to, to match on, but... your lighting. You have such good lighting, Josh, that I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> – this is not going to do it. I don't know. what This is a new setup for me. I'm transient. I'm going to be in a different office soon because my daughter will be moving me to another office. But – it, it took a few tries yeah. to get it right. It took a few tries to get my lighting to be part of this. my genius zone. I can make this blue. Look, this is another thing that's not my genius, not my genius zone, but I can here. Let's see what happens here. No, that's comfort. I know this you know, is when I was young. My parents to always t told me that lighting and makeup can make a big difference. And so I at least got the lighting do? right. I'm still working on the makeup. What did your parents do? My father was a rocket scientist. He worked on the Hubble Space Telescope and You're a bunch kidding. of other satellites. And then my mother was a public school teacher. Wow. Well, teachers are at the top of my list. Um, 
But my daughter's a teacher, my, my grown daughter, not my teenage daughter. She thinks she's a teacher, my teenage daughter. But I, I made a joke about rocket science on my, on my last episode about the fact people say, you know, it's not rocket science and that nothing is, right? Nothing but rocket science is. That's pretty and even cool. rocket science actually isn't that complicated. It's pretty mathematical and straightforward. Well, look at, That's look at one of this the things is I not, from my this, dad. This is, this is supposed to, you know, and I... This is supposed, I'm not, you know, I don't know what to do with this stuff. See, this is the kind of, but to your point is that, well, look, this blue, does that, what does that look like? It still looks a little flat, right? Yeah. Well, on my end, it's kind of showing me the low res version. So yeah. it says actual recording is higher quality, which is good oh, because yeah, what I'm seeing is like super low res. Oh no no! I'm seeing the resolution is fine. I'm just—it's yeah. just the light. It's just yeah, the so light it's kind of hard for me to gauge your lighting just because the resolution is so low. Yeah. On what I'm seeing. Well, you'd be you'd be you'd be you'd be disappointed, but but okay. <laughs> well, we'll work that stuff out. And I appreciate your being a good being good humored about it because it's. But but honestly, it's also helping me relax and go and go through this because I really appreciate what you're what you're showing us here. Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna let the light be what it is. I could even have it. Yeah. It's not gonna. This is not. This is. See, this is the thing. Things that are not in our genius zone are especially difficult for us, right? Um, yeah. So let's go. So we're so so we're 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 moving now on to on to four, on to content. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about your ideal audience because I want to figure out oh, who okay, your right. ideal audience is. Yeah. Because we've only narrowed it down to executives in the United States so far, and we want to narrow that down a little bit more. So now there are executives who work at companies that are making $500,000 a year, $3 million a year, five, ten, a hundred, five hundred, okay. a billion. What level do here, you want to work at? Because here, those are all different yeah. types of executives. If you could just pick and choose, what size okay. company would the executive work at that you want to it, work with? Yeah, if I could pick and choose, and this isn't, random i'll explain why in a minute i would say that i would i would want to work with companies that have revenue between 40 million and, and you know 200 million dollars a year mm -hmm. and the reason i i mention that is because when uh when i was working very closely with the owners and chief executives of companies in that range I really felt like I was in the right pocket because in all seriousness now, I felt like my experience, my, my intellect, my point of view, my sense of humor, all of these things resonated and not only were taken seriously, but were implemented by the executives. Whereas when I was dealing with smaller companies or working with people a little bit lower on the totem pole, there was a disconnect. The, the, there was also a, an inability to implement a lot of ideas. Okay. All right. Now, we could dive a lot deeper into this. And if I were coaching you, we would. We would spend hours on this and we would make a big list of all the different things that you would like to work with in the ideal client. And by the time we were done with that, we would know exactly who that client is, and you would know how to identify them. You would know the problems they have. 
you would know what they're walking around all day saying to themselves as they say, oh, if I could only do this or if I only had that. That's what we would work through to identify your ideal audience. But for the sake of time, let's move on to system four, which is the content. Once you know who your ideal audience is, then you say, okay, what's the message I want to get in their mind? Because you just have a brief opportunity to come across your ideal audience and deliver a very quick message that's going to move them to take an action, the action that you want them to take. And so this person might come across your website. They might see an ad online. They might hear an ad on the radio or on Spotify. But they're going to, you're going to have this really brief window of time to get your message across and hook their attention. There's a great book out there called Hook Point by Brendan Kane. He talks about how you have about three seconds to hook somebody's attention and draw them in so that you can give them a bigger message. And then you hook them with that and you take them to a larger, larger message until they become a customer. But that initial message is really crucial because if you don't hook their attention, you don't get a chance to explain any of the other stuff that you do. And so it's important to figure out what that message is and then what is the medium for delivering that message or what's the right channel. So for example, I really like writing. And so I gravitate towards channels where I can write. That's why I've written a lot of articles. I've written a lot of blog posts. You're not going to find a lot of video of me online. You'll find some, but you're not going to find nearly as much video as you are going to find of my writing because I'm much more comfortable writing than I am talking. With writing, it's so nice. You can go back, you can edit everything, you can make yourself sound perfect. Video, it's like if I say something wrong, if I burp or whatever, it's like it's out there forever. So I really enjoy writing. However, there are times where I have to go and do video or audio or something because that's where my customers are hanging out. And I have to go to where they're hanging out. So when you think about your audience, what are some of the places they hang out? What publications are they reading? What apps are they using? What conferences are they going to? Where does your they're, ideal audience hang out? They're reading. They're reading a lot of the magazines that you've written for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're reading their own trades, but they're uh, but they're also they're reading they're reading the latest business blogs and they're reading about you know they're reading trends. I think that it's, it's an excellent point you, point you made, Josh, because I hadn't really thought of it that way that. You know, I've been thinking about it. As you can tell, I'm obsessed with the lighting and I'm trying to get the lighting right. And, you know, it's it's ridiculous because the written word is actually also where I'm most comfortable. I am comfortable speaking and kidding around and being and, you know, having conversations. But I also feel like I crystallize my thoughts in in writing. But mm-hmm. I think that I, and I and I and I think that. You know, so yeah, I would say that the kinds of magazines you write for, um, you know, TechCrunch, Mashable, Forbes, you know, they're reading Inc. They're reading those magazines. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And to illustrate the importance of this, when I was doing a lot of writing back around 2015, 16, most of my writing was focused on digital marketing because that was the only business I had at the time was this digital marketing agency. And I ran into an issue with choosing channels because I was writing for Forbes and I was getting amazing results on Forbes. I would write articles there. I would get a lot of inquiries and I wrote 
a particular article about how to hire an SEO firm, a search engine optimization firm, which is one of the services my agency offered. So this article, how to hire an SEO firm, was the golden ticket for my business because, number one, my audience was reading Forbes. And my audience was CEOs and CMOs at companies that were doing at least a few million into the multiple tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions. So it was more of a corporate audience, more of an established audience. And these people were walking around all day long with this problem of, we need SEO. I know we need SEO. I don't know who to go to. I don't know how to hire the right SEO firm. I don't want to get burned. What do I do? They end up on Google and they type in how to hire an SEO firm thinking, well, maybe there's somebody out there who can educate me on how to hire an SEO firm. When they did that, my article popped up number one because it was on Forbes. So Forbes ranks really well in the search engines. So they see this article, how to hire an SEO firm. And they think, that's exactly what I need. And then they see that it's on the Forbes website and they say, hey, this is on Forbes. I mean, that's a credible publication. This must be a good article that's really going to tell me what I need to know. And so then they're reading this article and they're thinking, hey, this guy makes some good points. Who is this guy anyway? Then they would look at my bio and see, oh, this guy actually owns an SEO firm. Well, why don't I just hire his firm? I mean, he's the guy who's ranking top for this term that I searched for. So everything worked together on that article. It was just perfect. Right. We made millions of dollars off of that article because we got so many inquiries. And it wasn't like I was in the article saying, hey, and I run an SEO firm and you should definitely hire me. It was like people figured it out after they read the article. Yeah. They went searching to find out who I was and they figured it out. We got so many leads off of that article. Well, here I am running my company, getting all these leads from this Forbes article, but I'm also writing for Mashable and TechCrunch and Entrepreneur and these other publications. So of course I'm thinking, well, gee, if I got all this business off of Forbes, why don't I just go publish a similar article on Entrepreneur and then maybe I could double the amount of lead flow that I'm getting, right? That's logical. So I took my article on Forbes and I rewrote it so that it was different, but kind of the same thing. And I published it on Entrepreneur. And guess what happened? Nothing. We didn't get a single lead from essentially the same article on Entrepreneur. Well, why not? Because my audience was on Forbes and my audience was not reading Entrepreneur. And that was a big lesson to me about the importance of picking your channel. Because if I had written that article first for Entrepreneur, I would have thought, eh, nobody's responding to this. I never would have gone and published the same thing on Forbes. I got lucky. I published it on Forbes first. And then I tried out other publications and I ended up realizing, eh, it's not going to work anywhere else. It only works on Forbes. But that's why it's so important to figure out where your audience is hanging out because the exact same content is going to work where they're hanging out and it's not going to work at all if they're not hanging out, even if it seems like it's a place that they would be hanging out. Right. Well, and, okay, so then how do you, how do you really drill down and, and isolate that? I mean, what it came down to for you was just luck. Somehow you had you had picked the right platform, the right the right title, uh, you know, the right outlet. But right. So if you know who your audience is, you can figure out where they're hanging out. You can do the research. You can figure that out. One way is just to ask them. Just ask them what publications do you read? How do you get content? When you have this problem 
the problem that you can solve. When you have this problem, where do you go for help? Who do you ask? Where do you do your research? You can do research. You can figure this out. So you can figure out what the right channel is. And if I had been smarter back then, I could have done that research. But again, I just threw stuff out there and I happened to get lucky. But I could reverse engineer, engineer this for any business and figure out where somebody's audience is hanging out, where they're collecting information, when they need to solve a certain problem. So once you know what the channel is, then you can craft that message. And we won't go into depth there here, but the point is figure out the problem that you solve and how to talk about that problem in a way that's going to hook their attention. So just like my message on my LinkedIn agency's website is, let us help you make your CEO look awesome on LinkedIn. That's our message. For somebody who's walking around every day with the problem, how do I make my CEO look good on LinkedIn? That message is going to hook them and they're going to say, hey, this person appears to have a solution to my problem. So figure out what that core message is. And then you create other content around that core message to go into depth and explain how you solve the problem and talk more about it. And really the point here is not so much to show people that you have the solution, but to show people that you understand their problem. Because if somebody sees that you understand their problem, they're already sold. They assume you have the solution if you understand their problem. But if you spend all your time just showing that you have a solution to the problem, but they don't believe that you really understand their problem, they're still not going to be convinced. So focus more on the problem than you do the solution. So that gets us through system number four, which is content. Now system number five, six, and seven, I'm gonna go through pretty quick here. Five is action, meaning what's your plan? How are you going to implement these systems? How are you going to create content and get it out there? What's your content calendar look like? How often are you going to blog? How often are you going to release a podcast episode? It's just what your plan is to actually make this happen because it's all great to figure out your genius zone and your ideal audience and your content, but then a lot of people just don't do anything after that point because they get busy and then they have no influence. They never get the results that they're looking for. So system number five is what is your plan of action? What are you going to do about this and when are you going to do it? System number six is collaboration. Because if there's one thing I've learned over the last 20 years, I can't do that much on my own. I'm not that good at that many things. I need help from other people. And if I collaborate with others, I can get a thousand times the impact that I can get on my own. So, I mean, just look at Forbes. I wrote for Forbes, but I was writing for Forbes. I was writing articles before I wrote for Forbes, and I got no attention on my personal blog. But once I collaborated with Forbes, they had the platform that made all the difference in terms of people trusting my content or even seeing my content in the first place. So there are people out there that you can work with. Earlier, we mentioned how we're not competing with each other, right? I mean, right. you talk to executives and I talk to executives, but what you're selling or how you serve executives is different than how I serve executives. And yet we have the same audience. And so we can help each other because I might know executives that I'm working with who need what you have. You might know executives who need what I have. And we can trade back and forth, right? That's just one example of collaboration. But if you look for all those different opportunities to partner with other people, you can grow so much faster. You can have so much more influence. You can do so many more things. You don't have to do this all by yourself. And then system seven is my favorite one, which is love. And when I talk about love in this context, what I mean is we're talking about goodwill, really caring about the people that you're serving. If I'm just in this for the money, if I'm just looking at this as a transaction and how do I get somebody to do what I want them to do so that I can get what I want, 
that's manipulation. But if it's, hey, I want to really help people. Now, in order to help people, I need to make money so that I can live and actually do the thing that helps them. But I really do want to change the world, and I really want to help people. And hey, if I can support myself and my family and do some things I want along the way, that's great. I need that. But what I'm really in this for is to help other people and change the world. That's love. That's goodwill. That's your heart coming from the right place. And we all need to do that kind of gut check because if you don't care about your audience, if you don't really love them, if you don't have goodwill for your audience, they're going to sense that. They're going to sense that it's just all about the deal, that you're just trying to get money out of them, that you're just trying to manipulate them. And when they sense that, they will not listen to you. They will not do what you want them to do. But if they sense that you truly care about them and you want what's best for them, then they will listen to you. And the great thing is you can get all the other systems wrong, but if you get System 7 right and you have that love, people will forgive you for all the other mistakes. They'll forgive you for the mistakes in your content. They'll forgive you that your lighting wasn't right during our podcast. <laughs> They'll say, I don't care because I know his heart's in the right place and he's got good stuff. However, if you're missing the love, there's nothing else you can do with the other systems to fix that. So get System 7 right and it will make up for a lot of mistakes in other areas. Get it wrong. You can't make up for it in the other areas. That's beautiful. I really am appreciative of this uh, opportunity, Josh, because seriously, what I feel going into this is my audience that's listening has a lot of the same concerns, a lot of the same problems. And as they've been listening to this podcast, hopefully they haven't been thinking about my specific uh, challenge and hopefully they haven't been paying attention to the lighting. I mean, so few people actually watch the video portion of it that it's not really a, a terrible concern, but it's an insecurity that I have when I, with my technical proficiency. But still, hopefully they've been thinking about their own problems, their own challenges. And what I also preach is that sincerity and true caring for your client. That's why I don't need, you know, in an answer to your earlier question, I don't need a lot of clients. I don't want a lot of clients. I just want to work with people I really respect and admire and care about. I do want to have those really special relationships in this next phase where there are people I haven't worked with yet. They're out there somewhere. They have something they need and I, and I want to find them. And I, I think that this has been really helpful. This has been a really wonderful, uh, conversation, not our typical podcast interview. One more point I want to emphasize about these seven systems is yeah. these are seven systems, not seven steps. You don't necessarily yeah. do them in order. There's not necessarily an order to them. Think of this more like a car. A car has a lot of different systems. You have a navigation system, a steering system, a propulsion system. You have all these different systems that have to work together. And if any of them is off, you might not get from point A to point B. That's kind of like these seven systems of influence. They all need to be working, and some are probably working better than others. And so the key here is to do a self-audit, look through these seven systems and say, am I not clear about what my vision is? Am I not clear about who my audience is? And you work on that system, and you get it into good shape. And when they're all in good shape, working well together, then you have influence. Then you can make an impact. If any one of them's not working right, it needs to be fixed, just like you might need to fix part of your car. So again, don't think of it as steps. Think of it as systems that are interlocking, working together, and when they all work great, then life is great. Well said. 
I use this when I think about my relationships with my kids and my wife all the time. I think about, I mean, my kids are growing up right now. They're in their teenage years. They're facing lots of challenges, and I want them to make good choices. And I think, how do I influence them to make good choices? And I think about my vision, and I think about who they are as people and what they care about. And then I start thinking about content, like can I put posters up or little quotes around the house or what content can I put up that's going to influence them to make better choices? And so this really can be used anywhere. And like you said, we often uh, don't find people's genius zones. We focus on instead people's idiot zones and we keep bringing those up all the time instead of focusing yeah. on the positive. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.